You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. If you uh, have your Bible with you, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And let me again encourage you, I think it's next week we have our Closer Look class, is that correct? Two weeks. Two weeks, okay. In two weeks we have a Closer Look class. Like I know what's going on around here, sorry. Um, But... uh, I want to encourage you if you're visiting or if you're just, you're not part of a church and you're, you know, uh, you just have never done that. And if you're a college student, you're not part of a church. Again, it's very important, I believe, that while you're here, you join a church. I think it's a very important part of your spiritual life. And in the long haul of your, doing that in college is, I think, very vital. If you're in Athens, Georgia, my goodness, join a church. If you're in this community, you know, be a part. And we'd we'd love you to consider uh, this your church home. We're excited about what we're we're doing and where we're going. Um, There's a book called uh, about our church. Has anybody got one on them? It's a it's a uh, you get them outside. I should have brought one up. Thank you so much. Wave that around. That's excellent. Okay, that's a. That's a, if, if you're, this, this book, it's a simple book. It takes probably 30, 40 minutes to read, if that. Um, it's 44 pages, but it's real big print, so it's very easy to go through. A lot of Bible verses. And what that book does is just gives you the biblical basis for um, what our theological uh, foundations are. It tells you what we believe a church is. And it also tells you the theological basis for our church mission statement which is to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. We'd love you to get one of those and just read through it. It'll give you some information and uh, hopefully answer some questions. And uh, if you want to attend the Closer Look class in two weeks, you're not joining up. It's just an information thing where you can come find out more information from the church from me and my wife, Lisa, and uh, ask questions and, and consider that. So anyways, sorry to give you that commercial Real quick, we've been going through Colossians chapter 2. Let me read chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read the first five verses in this chapter to you. And then uh, I'm going to do what I usually do. I want to review for a second, and then I just want to scan through this passage, kind of look at different nuances and help you understand some of the meaning and some of what Paul's saying there and what it would have looked like to have read this letter 2,000 years ago. And then then I want to make just a couple points to close up. In uh, chapter 2, verse One, Paul writes, and he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those of you at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, unified in love, so that they may have the full understanding of complete, full riches, excuse me, of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, 
I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, let me just kind of share with you real briefly what he's talked about for the first, in the first chapter up to this point. He has basically kind of came out of the block and made a point that the gospel does something. The gospel that we believe that we're saved by, it does something all around the world. It spreads, it expands, it goes all out uh, powerfully, yet it also does something powerful within us. And it's sort of a correspondence, in other words, the idea that, that, that the sense in which the gospel is changing us and transforming us and impacting us, it will also have that same effect in the world. And he goes, because of that, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. I want you to learn about this. I want you to be absorbed in it. The second thing he talks about, he gives you a real succinct explanation of the gospel. Basically, it was this. Jesus Christ was God who became man. And as a man, he died. He suffered and died on a cross. And the blood he spills, because it was God's blood, causes you and I to be able to stand in the sight of God as though we're holy. And so you don't have a blemish on you. And there's no accusation, no charges, no judgment, no condemnation. And then he goes through, and the next thing he talks about, he sort of builds up to what he feels is the apex truth, the most important truth you and I can really get down in our life. And he calls that truth, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, those are just the basic things he says. The gospel's dynamic in you and around you. This is the gospel. Jesus, as God, died on the cross. He makes you clean before God. And then the third thing is he actually not only makes you clean, but he comes to live inside you and empower you and enable you in a, in a dramatic, powerful, supernatural way. And that's a, those are great truths. Really, you don't need to learn anything else. I mean, that's, that's great stuff right there. And it's, that's kind of what he talks about here in this chapter 2. He basically talks about... As he goes in after explaining these truths and going over me, basically he's saying, what kind of attitude should we have about these truths? How should these truths affect us? How should they grip us? How should they almost possess us? And this is kind of what he is going to sort of unfold. And if you look here in verse 1, the first thing he says, I want you to know, he, he writes to and he talks about a place called Laodicea. And Laodicea was in the Lycos Valley with uh, Colossae in the same general area. It was about 10 miles more west than north. There was another large city called Heropolis in that area. Colossae, Heropolis, and Laodicea were the largest cities in that area. It's kind of interesting. In the end of the book, Paul's going to talk about a letter. He says, hey, look, this letter I'm writing to you, I want you to send it over to Laodicea and to Heropolis so they can hear it. And then he says, there's a letter I wrote to the, the people in Laodicea in that church, and I want you to read their letter. So there's actually a letter, there's probably three or four that we know of, that Paul wrote just like this that we, we don't know what he said. It'd be kind of interesting to find that letter, but we don't know what he said. But it's kind of interesting. Anyways, that's Laodicea. And as he's talking here, he says this in verse 1. He says, I want you to know something. I am contending for you. I am contending for you. For your faith. And, and the word he uses there uh, in the Greek for contending is the word agon, A G O N. 
We get the word agony from this word. And there's a real interesting story behind the word agon. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, years before this letter was written, there used to be a wrestling arena called the agon. And combatants, and usually they would pick slaves, they would enter in to the agon. And they would fight, and they would wrestle, and they would compete. And to win a match in the agon, the, a man would have to hold down by the throat for 30 seconds the man who he was fighting. It was an exhausting battle. And at the end of the match, the loser would stay there in the center of the agon. And they would come out, and they would bind him, and they would cut out both his eyes. Sorry to... But, but I wanted you to think about what that word would have meant to Paul. How hard those combatants would have fought. If that was what you were fighting for. If you had to hold somebody down for 30 seconds to save your sight. Your eyes were on the line. How hard. And Paul's saying, I am I'm contending. I'm in, the, I'm in the agon. Paul was probably in jail. He may have been chained up. He may have been writing this letter through chains and stocks. And he's just, I'm just, he may have had a scribe that was there outside his cell that he's chained to and he's telling him what to write. But man, he is, he is doing everything he can to embolden their faith and build their faith up. So I'm just committed to this. You know, it, it's so important that we believe and how powerful these truths are. These are not light little things. These are gifts from God to transform broken humanity in powerful and dramatic ways. And we, we, we sometimes lose sight of that. We get too familiar with our faith that it just it, it loses. We, we forget how dynamic and how powerful and how transformative it really can be. That's part of the attitude about it. And this kind of an intensity around it. And you, you read down here in verse 2, he, he goes on, My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love. When you are and I are encouraged in heart, that means your heart is swelling. Your heart is full. To have a full heart and to be united with people that you love, that is an optimal place to be spiritually. And here's what Paul's saying. This is my goal. I want to see you swelling in your heart with faith, with spiritual life, with dynamic. And then I want you united with other people and to learn to love one another, learn to put up with one another, learn to fight through with one another, learn to give and take and, and sacrifice for one another, speak honestly to one another, full heart and locked in with other people, united in love. And here's what he says will happen for the sake, uh, excuse me, for, uh, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. Here's, here's the idea here. I want you to be certain. I want you to experience something rich and profound in your life. That is completely understanding. To be certain. To be certain. To be able to move forward in life certain and sure and not trepid 
not wondering, but to be able to take bold steps, be able to make bold decisions, be able to have a faith that is strong, be like Abraham, the 75-year-old man with a wife 10 years younger, never had a kid, and God came to him and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He dropped what he was doing and left. He went on a journey with God, and it took years and years and years. But later in life, God brought him a son. He did what he did. Be like the story we read about in the Bible of the four friends of Daniel that was in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood before a, an evil emperor who said, bow down to this idol. And literally all the other boys, all the other young men from Israel who, who knew not to bow down to idols, who believed God was one, bowed down. And these boys didn't. They stood strong. And they looked at the king in the face. The king was mad at them and said, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. If you don't bow down, their reply is, oh, king, I'm not going to give you a response concerning this. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand, and he will. But even if he does not, you need to know this. Oh, king, we're not bowing down to your idol. There's a story a king threw him in the furnace. While they're in the furnace, the Bible says, one like the son of God appeared there with them and rescued them. Paul says, this is what I want you to have. Complete convictions that arise from certainty. Convictions that arise from knowing the truth. Complete understanding. That you can be strong in the face of storms. Look at the next part of verse 2 when he talks about that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That you may what? No, let's say the word again. No, one more time. No. You know what is the most, people, probably the most neglected part of, our, of, of modern Christian spirituality is really learning, really knowing, really knowing the Bible. I, I you know, again, I, and I don't like being critical. I would encourage you, though, sometimes walk into a Christian bookstore. Everything you read is about subjects, it's about things, it's about whatever. Very little focuses on really taking the Bible and learning it. Very little. Well, we're, there's just a dearth of learning that, that goes on today it, in terms of knowing the Bible, learning the Bible. Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to learn. I want you to get it. And he says, I want you to know God's mystery, namely Christ. I want you to really know Christ. I want you to see the mystery that was revealed in the Old Testament. I want you to see how Christ was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. How this is not just a, a wonderful thing that happened, but you could read in Genesis and you could read in Exodus and you could read the story of Israel's history, how Moses took them out. And there was all throughout there, there were these profound little incidents, these profound little stories dropped in that point and allude to Christ. So I want you to know the mystery of Christ. And he says this, in him are hidden all, all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. All the riches, all the wealth of truth, of theological truth, of what you need to know about God and how he wants you to live a life is hidden, is packed, it's stored in Christ. Jesus once taught this in Matthew 13. There's a verse on the screen you could read. Matthew chapter 13, I'll 
read this to you. It starts in verse 44. Jesus said the kingdom of God, heaven, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one pearl of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Here's what Jesus says the kingdom of God's like. And here's what the kingdom of God's going to be like in your life and my life. We're like somebody who, want, who goes out and is wandering around and they find a treasure. They find an unbelievable treasure. Or like a, a guy who's a jewelry guy and he's looking for pearls and he finds this pearl of infinite value. And what they do is they sell everything they have, everything, to go buy and purchase and possess that treasure and that pearl. And here's what that means for your life and my life. Is that we commit ourselves to learning the truth. We really believe in the value and the worth and the impact. Growing spiritually and knowing Christ and getting acquainted with him will have in our lives. And we may not sell everything we have. But I'll tell you what we can sell. We can sell some time in front of the TV to go possess that treasure. We can sell some time doing frivolous things. We can sell some Netflix time. We can sell some whatever time. And, and, And not painfully. I love what he says, for joy over it. Joy over it. Sells everything. And that's a powerful attitude to have toward the truth. And it's an appropriate attitude to have toward the truth. Look at, look at the next verse here as we move on in chapter 2, verse 3, and hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, I tell you this, that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. Let me again take a stop there. Deceive you. The, the word in the Greek means to delude you. Delude you. And it, that means basically to mix truth with something that's not true delude you. It's not to just give you a complete lie. It's just to sort of massage the truth in a way that is, makes it less potent, less powerful. One of the things they were dealing with in that culture was pluralism. This idea that Jesus is great, but he's just one of many. He's just one of many. He's your way, not, not everybody's way. You ever heard that? Literally, I remember one time when my senior year in, in college, I was in a religion class. And the professor got up there and he said, the one thing I won't tolerate in this class is intolerance. As a Christian, you know what that means. (laughs) We won't tolerate you. And he says, all religions are valuable, all lead to the same thing. And he literally said, he told the story. Religion is like this. There's There's five blind men feeling an elephant. And one fills his trunk and says, this is a hose. This is a snake, I think. Excuse me, it was a snake. This is a snake. You know? And then one fills his leg and says, no, 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 you're wrong. This is a tree. One felt his torso, the elephant's belly, a blind man. And he says, no, 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 guys, you're all three. Both of you are wrong. This is a boulder. 
One feels his tail and says, no, 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 this is a rope. One feels his ear and says, no, 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 you are all wrong. This is a fan. And so the, he said, you see, he said, here's the lesson from that. They're all disagreeing. They're all fighting. But really, they're all right. They're all feeling a bigger part, a smaller part of a bigger whole. Doesn't that sound wonderful? They're all right. They're all right. Everybody's right. You're feeling a smaller part of a bigger whole. Fine-sounding argument. And I remember a thought occurred to me, and I, I was, a, I was kind of a smart aleck at 22. But I, I raised my hand, and I said, Doctor, I said, can I ask you a question about that? He goes, sure. I said, did you just say all of them were right? He said, yeah. I said, well, is an elephant a tree? Is an elephant a snake? Is it a rope? Is it a boulder? Isn't an elephant an elephant? The truth is, they're all wrong. There is, there, if there is an entity that is God, he is a certain way. He is not multiple things to multiple people. That's what we call stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that to him. I didn't, I didn't do that. I am saying that to you. Don't be that way. I just was being a minor smart aleck, you know, for the sake of the gospel. That's all I was doing. <laughs> I was just thought, thought I'd just get a jab in there. I've been to school for four years, had enough of that nonsense. Thought in my last quarter, I'm going to have get some revenge this moment. That was all I did. I don't believe in being smart Alex to professors. Anyway, I just, anyway, anyway, you get the point. We can be deluded with fine-sounding arguments. They sound good, <clears throat> but they're dumb. You know, and I think as Christians, we almost got to watch people deluding our faith. There's a lot of Christians, they just want to mix your faith with wacko spirituality. Just, just wacko spirituality. It's a delusion. People want to mix it with family values. And I'm all for family values. But it's not the gospel. You want to mix it with all kinds of things. And he's saying, look, don't let anybody delude you. Listen, don't let anybody in your life, and some of those things may be important, don't let anybody get you off the main thrust of what Christianity is about. It's about the dynamic of the gospel. The way it impacts you, the way it impacts the people around you. It's about Jesus Christ being God and man, as a man, spilling his blood on a cross, that you would stand before God unblemished, holy in his sight, without any accusations. And it's about Christ coming to live inside you and dynamically transform you from the inside out. Don't get deluded and get off on other issues that we want to be spiritual. They aren't. Stay on these things. Paul says, don't get deluded with that. And then he ends with this thing in verse 5. He makes this comment. For, through, for though I'm absent in your body, with you in the body, I'm not there. I'm present with you in spirit. Man, he said, I'm with you. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He goes, you know what? I want to see this. Two things. How disciplined you are. And these are military terms. How disciplined you are. And how firm your faith in Christ is. 
And, and the, the idea of being disciplined just means to be aligned. In, in the military, it meant to line up, to be line up in battle formation. I want to see you guys aligned properly. And what that means for you and I personally, he's saying, I want your life to be aligned with the truth. I want you to align your life with the truth, not spiritual nonsense, not sin, not compromise, aligned with the truth, disciplined. And he says, I want to see how firm you guys are standing. What would happen in those days when a military thing, you would line up and you would line up shoulder to shoulder and you would kind of form a human shield. You've seen the, the movie 300. Remember that movie? Maybe you didn't see it, but it was, uh, uh, they, they lined up and it was, it, you know, he's saying, I want to see you guys aligned and I want you to see you strong and firm. I want you doing your job where you are. I want you being what you're supposed to be where you are. And I want to see all of you doing it together. What, what a powerful thing it would be in this city. If every Christian in Athens, Georgia aligned their lives with the truth. Their, their, their beliefs about money, about sex, about the way they work, about the way they treat one another, about their personal commitment. To, what if everybody, everybody, every believer in Athens aligned with the truth and they were doing it everywhere in formation? Paul said, God, that's, that would be such a beautiful sight. Such a beautiful sight. And that's the kind of attitude about the truth that he wants us to have. You're, you're lined up and you're in formation. So you, throughout this city, you look like an army ready for battle. No compromise. Everybody in spot. Everybody doing what they're supposed to do where God's planted you. What an what a awesome sight. What are our beliefs and attitudes about the truth that kind of arise in this passage. And I'm going to close with this, this thought. I think there's, there's three things that are characteristic of the truth that are in this passage that you and I really should embrace. Uh, that one is that it's powerful. The truth of Christ is utterly powerful. It's transforming. There is nothing like it. Utterly powerful. Second thing about it, the truth about Christ is priceless. It's priceless. Whatever in our routines gets lost, gets set aside to get more of him, is a great exchange. You're exchanging gold for dross. Listen, enjoy a little TV. That's fine. Enjoy a game. But, 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 the, but when we can exchange and lose excess in these things and, and build around, it's priceless. It's priceless. And the third thing it is, it's, it's impenetrable. I mean, it, it creates a strength and a power and a sturdiness in your life where you're, you're not going to waver. You won't fall. And if you do fall, you'll get up. But you'll be, in, in, you'll be impenetrable. 
And that's God's will for your life. To be impenetrable. To not be just punctured by things that come at your way. Be able to take life on and be more than enough to handle it. And this is kind of what Paul's saying here in this thing. This is what truth is. That you and I, if you're following Christ, here's, here's what you literally are. You are in a boat that's going upstream. That's what you're doing. That's what you're committing to do. And you can go upstream by rowing your own strength. Or you can have an empowered vessel that takes you upstream. And I want you to go upstream in an empowered vessel. That takes giving attention to the motor. You've got to make sure the motor's working. You've got to make sure it's full of gas. But I'm telling you, when that motor's working, it's working. And you're humming, and you're moving against stream, and it is not a big deal. That's, that's God's will for your life. And this is kind of what he's talking about. So I just want to encourage you, man, your attitude for truth is powerful, it's priceless, and it's impenetrable. Believe in that. Let's believe in that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this powerful uh, passage and what it unpacks and what it says about you is just so extraordinary. And I pray you give us grace to embrace it and to, to make it ours. I pray that we would believe in the powerful, transformative ability of truth to change us, to, to break our bad habits, to, to break the power of sin, to break the power of fear and insecurity and doubt over our lives. Father, I pray that we would see that this is a priceless, these are priceless truths, that this is a treasure hidden in a field. This is a pearl of great price and that it is a delight to lay aside things that aren't important to gain this treasure. And we thank you that we want to be people that are aligned with your truth, that are like that impenetrable army that you delighted to see them be, disciplined and firm in faith, where our lives are aligned with you, aligned with you, and we're locked in to each other. We pray you just give us grace to see this ideal and, and go for it and spirit, experience the power of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.